the robots are coming for our jobs very soon there will be nothing left for normal people to do and the only solution to that is to institute a universal basic income welcome to episode 123 of the scottish liberty podcast with me anthony samaroff those are the assertions of presidential candidate andrew yang who's running for president in 2020 as a democrat I have the privilege of debating him on September the 9th at the Soho Forum in New York. I'm going to talk about his vision, his policies. I'm going to talk about our debate. I'm debating him on automation. His assertion is that automation is going to make everyone, except for a few elites, poor. I'm going to say it's going to make everyone rich. Uh, We're going to battle it out. Now, I'm probably going to give all of my best arguments away in this um, podcast but that's fine because if Andrew Yang watches it all the better he'll know what he's in for and um, maybe we can we can spend less time trying to see where each other are coming from and more time well knowing where each other is coming from figuring out where each of us has got it right and where each of us has got it wrong so Andrew Yang wrote this book The War on Normal People it's a very readable book it's um yes it's an enjoyable book I don't agree with a lot of his economic thinking. I think there's a lot of fallacies in his economic thinking. It's full of kind of cliches like, we need to have the market serve humanity rather than humanity serve the market. What is the market? The market is humanity. The market are just a bunch of people buying and selling stuff from each other. So this idea, this anthropomorphization about the market, the idea is that that the market can be separated from the preferences of human beings and isn't actually the expressed preferences of human beings in action, right? If you ask me what I want out of life, and I can have anything, um, I'll just tell you everything. Why don't you just give me everything? The great thing about the market is it reveals our preferences. So if I have a choice between a cup of tea and a cup of coffee, and I have to pay the same amount for them, you can tell which I prefer in that moment by my revealed choice. It's, It's what I'm willing to choose when I have to sacrifice everything else of equal value that you really find out what I want. That's just a little introduction. I don't really like it when people say these things like, oh, you're God, the free market, because there, there's no such thing as the free market, right? People should not fetishize the free market. The free market, when I say there's no such thing as the free market, of course, markets exist. What I mean to say is you cannot separate markets from individuals. We have very corrupt markets where entrenched corporations can get the ear of the government and have regulations passed in their favor. They might not pay as much tax as smaller businesses. They might get government handouts. They might be able to sell contracts to the government for big sums of money. They might be able to lobby to get competitors shut down. They might be able to get patents that stop people from producing similar goods to them who could even do a better job than they can. And all of that's unfair, but where does the power start? Who has the ability to point guns at people and force them to do what they want people to do. It's the government that has that power. Otherwise, Coca-Cola would be lobbying McDonald's, McDonald's would be lobbying Starbucks, Starbucks would be lobbying Apple, and so forth, 
and what have you. So one thing that Andrew Yang wants to do is use the government, the, the power force that the government has as a benign force in the economy. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about um, why I think that his ideas are mistaken. If you think this is useful, if you think this has explanatory power, hit that share button, or if you're watching on Facebook, click watch party, go to the bottom and say start a watch party so that everyone that's on gets a notification that you're getting involved and uh, I will be taking questions. On with the show. Right, let's talk about automation. I'm going to talk a lot about automation. I'm going to talk a little bit about universal basic income. Andrew Yang says that we automated 4 million jobs away in places like Ohio, Missouri and Michigan and that those places have never really recovered from that. Um, but he hasn't actually mentioned all of the other factors that would make it difficult for people to get new jobs once their jobs were automated. I'm talking about things like the minimum wage, um, which, you know, say what you want about the minimum wage, but no one's going to pay you to train you when you're losing the money. So it's good if people can get a wage that's lower than the minimum wage while they're training, and then maybe their salary will increase as they become more skilled on the job. Nope, you're not allowed to do that. Plus there's payroll taxes, which are just extra expense on businesses. Lots of businesses have to pay for medical insurance for their employees. Even uh, Andrew Yang admits that in the book, he talks about Medicaid for all he wants the government to pay instead of corporations. And he says that in one of his businesses, he would have happily taken on more people if it wasn't for the cost of having to pay insurance for uh, additional employees. So there, there's an example. I mean, we could go on and on, but let's talk about the increase in the prices of rent in real time over time, what that's caused by restrictions on who can build property. Uh, that makes the cost of living go up. I'm not saying that makes it harder for people to find jobs, but he's constantly citing the fact that people are struggling as evidence for why we need UBI and why automation is a bad idea. But in my book, Universal Basic Income For and Against, which you can get on Amazon Kindle, uh, it will be available in paperback pretty shortly. I don't know if it's a available for pre-order yet, but yeah, definitely go on on Amazon. I talk about five major factors that ramp up costs of living and make it harder for people to survive on a lower wage. So he, he's concerned that 3.5 million truckers that are going to lose their jobs in America, uh, as well as like retail workers, call center workers, people who work in fast food places, these kind of entry level jobs. And yeah, he says, you know, they're not exactly going to become highly skilled computer programmers. So as we go on, we're going to follow, let's call him Jack the trucker and see what might happen to him if his job was automated. The scary idea is that with Machines and artificial intelligence replacing all the jobs that normal people do, the, the book is called The War on Normal People, that um, will be without jobs. And what's going to happen is there's going to be this elite that have all the machines and have all the wealth. We're going to look at that more closely. Sam Harris, uh, one of the prominent intellectuals of our day, says we need to decouple the idea that people should work to earn a living. They should just get a living and um, working should be a separate thing. That's exactly what I think is not the solution to this problem, as is going to become clear. I think that would be problematic. You actually want to incentivize people to do things for each other, to serve one another in order to gain a living, so long as there are people to be served. Decoupling those two is going to 
create a whole world of problems and uh, as we're going to explore. So what I want to say is, yes, adopting machines can result in job losses nominally in particular industries. I'm not denying that truck drivers can lose their job to automation, but it has not created unemployment across the whole economy. In fact, it frees people up from doing jobs that are less wanted so that they can do jobs that are more wanted. And I'm going to exemplify that because it's, it's kind of hard to sustain this position that, oh, all the jobs are going, there's going to be nothing for anyone to do because we are constantly told classroom sizes are too large. We're constantly told hospital waiting lists are too long. We're told, oh, we cut down all our trees to fuel the Second World War. and They've still not grown back, right? So we need tree planters, clearly. We're told, oh, there's all these environmental problems. Well, that means there's millions and millions of jobs potentially cleaning up the environment, right? There's old people. There's so many old people who just languish in their homes. They're lonely. They've got nothing to do right? So there's tons of stuff. Oh, there's single mothers have to work three jobs. Have you heard these claims? I hear them all the time. Single mothers have to work three jobs simultaneously and they can't even get someone to look after their kids, right? At the same time, we all cook our own meals. Wouldn't you love to have a butler? Wouldn't you love to have a chef? Uh, wouldn't you love to have someone to come over and cook your grass, uh, cook your grass, cut your grass for you, iron your clothes, clean up your room, as Jordan Peterson says, do your shopping for you. There's a million things that each of us can, can benefit from the convenience of someone else doing every day, millions of things that we can benefit from other people doing. So what I want to say is the purpose of work is to produce things to satisfy people's wants and needs. That, that is the only purpose of work. What is work? You are paid to do something that someone else values, right? Whether it's your employer, you, you work for them directly, or they sell your labor to someone else, right? The purpose of work is to cater to people's needs. So there's a contradiction in the idea that having tons of machines is going to make everyone poor because if all the work's been doing by mach machines, what's that for? That's to meet people's needs, right? So if we have all of these things being produced, right? If there's no jobs, if people are poor, then there's lots of work to be done. Therefore, there's lots of jobs because they've got lots of wants and needs. So you need lots of people to do the jobs to make those poor people rich, right? If everyone's rich, if everyone has everything they need, then you could be making an argument to say, well, there's no work left to do. Look, everyone's rich, right? And people will say that because you go, well, what the fuck am I going to do now? I'm just going to like go into virtual reality world and like, um, you know, I don't know, I'll be like, uh, I, I dread to think the kind of things that you sick fucks will be getting up to in virtual reality world, right? Okay, that's a different question, right? Then if everyone's rich, then you might say, well, okay, we need to do something about this, right? We need to train everyone as yoga teachers so that they don't become fat couch potatoes. You know, everyone will have to do three hours of yoga a day. But you can't say the machines are causing a problem because everyone's poor. Because if people are poor, that means there's lots of jobs. So there will be jobs as long as there's people who are poor. And the more poor people there are, the more work there is to do, right? 
And right, if the rich people have machines that does the work for those people, you go like, well, I can't um, employ someone to cut my grass because we've got the automatic grass cutter. Oh, well, great, I'm going to save money on having to hire a real grass cutter. Oh, we, um, you've got the automatic butler. Okay, all the machines are doing everything for you. That means you're rich, right? You're rich. Otherwise, you'll get someone over to cut your grass and you'll go over to their house and look after their kids or keep cook their meals for you and we'll just swap each other. So, that, so there's a, it's a complete contradiction. It doesn't make any sense, right? So the... The rich person, what if all the rich people own the machines and then the rest of us don't have money to pay each other? Well, we'll swap services, right? Now, I, I thought of a metaphor for this that I think illustrates it quite well. I've not told anyone yet, so you guys are the first person to hear it. You can, you can think of, you can, you can let me know what you think. So imagine there were a bunch of angels around and they had superhuman powers, right? They don't need to be angels, they could be ghosts, right? They can translocate, they can read minds, and they're so far advanced of us that they don't need anything from us whatsoever. Like, there's nothing we can do for them because they've got it all already. The only things they can do is make universes in their heads and send them to each other, uh, and they do that. They trade, they trade with each other, like amazing things like that, which we can't do. So nothing we have is a, of any interest or value to them, right? So they just have their own economy, right? That wouldn't affect us at all. So even if there's a small number of rich people who can do superhuman things for each other, we're in exactly the same position. The, the only difference is one of these angels or ghosts might somehow sometime bless you by giving you a tiny bit of a small percentage of their powers and throwing it down to you. Now, I don't actually believe that's what would happen, but that's what the people who are scared about automation believe. I think they'll always be of value. The, uh, people, the poorer you are, the more of value you are to others because you've got low overheads and you're desperate. So they'll always find some work for you to do. And also, they'll be able to pay you more because it's nothing to them. It's nothing to them. If you're a trillionaire, I can pay you a million pounds to cut my grass. What the, what the hell? It's nothing. So that is not how it works, right? Now, if the machines that create the stuff that help the poor, sorry, the, 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 cheap, the stuff that we want, it doesn't mean to help the poor, if they're churning out that stuff and we've got no money to buy it, then What's the use of that? First, they have to give it away, right? First, they go, well, I'm putting that in the shop. Oh, no one's got any money to buy it. Then the shopkeeper goes, I'm sick of this. I'm sending it back to the manufacturer. I can't sell it, right? And then they go, what am I going to do to this? Oh, I'll put it in a warehouse. Right, now the warehouse is full. I need to pay for heating on the warehouse. I need to pay for lighting on the warehouse. I need to pay an attendant for the warehouse. I don't want it. Give it away. Just give it away. So they'll just give away the warehouse and they'll give away all the stuff in the warehouse because there's, they've got nothing to do with that. So someone will find something to do with that and they'll give it to someone who is willing to pay for it, right? It's so, but this is what happens. Buying a garment used to be a once in a lifetime event. People did it once in their whole lives. Now the charity shops can't sell the clothes that people give them. They have to give them away. They can't sell those VHS cassettes. If someone finds a way to recycle VHS cassettes for a profit, they'll make lots of money because all of those VHS cassettes, we're trying to get rid of them. We're happy to give them away. This laptop that I'm making this on, 
and 20 years will be worthless. So maybe someone in a third world country will get it because it might be of use to them. It might not even be of use to them in 20 years' time. It might not be compatible with the internet. So the machines are just going to create so much abundance that not only are the products that they make going to be given away and making everyone rich, but the machines themselves that make the stuff will be given away. Because they'll go, what am I going to do with this stuff? What am I going to do with these machines that make stuff? Like, no, I can't sell the stuff they make. So I'm just going to have to give it to someone. They'll give it to your community center and they'll make the stuff for you. And they'll give it to you for free, <laughs> you know? So that's one of my points. If everyone's too poor to buy the stuff, then the stuff's worthless and the machines are worthless. Sorry, I'm really thirsty. Okay. They'll try and get rid of them at knockdown rates. Then they'll pay someone to take them off their hands. So the robots will end up in the hands of whoever is willing to upkeep them or they'll abandon them in a landfill until someone says, hmm, I think I could do some, something with those things. So chances are in a fully automated society, robots themselves will become so affordable that you will be able to buy one to send that out to work for you. So the work, robot will work for you and you will get the paycheck. And someone will come along and say, that's the long term, though. What about in the interim period? And that's, that's maybe what Andrew Yang is saying. We need to plan for the upheaval of 3.5 million truckers entering the work environment. Okay, so because that's going to be some upheaval. That's, you know, it's going to be complete chaos. And, you know, as, the, as Keynes put it, the economist Keynes put it, in the long run, we're all dead, Anthony. Yes, that might be good in the long run, it might be utopia, but what about the short term? I want to talk about the effects of automation, the economic effects rather than the like utopian end stage post-scarcity society. He says in his book that the savings of automated freight delivery will be 168 billion per year, 35 billion in fuel, 70%, 70 billion in labor costs, 36 billion in accident reduction, and 27 billion in increased productivity and equipment utilization. And he says because the, the people who work in the industry can see that those will be the potential results of automation, they're gonna obviously wanna automate as soon as possible to get those benefits. And he seems to think, like, I hear, I heard him on Joe Rogan podcast say things like, the universal basic income will create jobs. And it's like, no, you don't create jobs by taxing people. Because just think about it, right? If I own a shop, right, I, I'm, I'm the rich, right? You tax me a million pounds and give it to other people. And then those other people go to the shop that I own and they buy stuff worth a million pounds, right? All that's happened is if I have a million less revenue, and uh, no, I've got a million less stuff. I've got the same amount of money, but I've got a million pounds less of stuff. So I've got a million pounds less to employ people. I've got a million pounds less to invest in the equipment, to invest in machines and factories and AI. 
which actually what the invest, so there's less capital formation. If you tax people to give people a UBI, there's less capital formation, which will damage everybody, especially people on low incomes. Why? Because it's capital formation that makes goods and services cheaper. If I buy that automated truck and I save 168 billion per year, a lot of that 168 billion will need to be given to customers. So everything in the shop becomes cheaper, which means if I earn, let's say, a modest income, right? But everything in the shops is 20% cheaper. I might have the same wage, but actually my wage buys, I can't do that reverse percentage thing. Someone, someone who's good at maths explained to me how to translate everything in the shop's 20% cheaper. I think that makes my pay, my money worth 25% more. So my, my, my money's worth more. Anyway, let's say my money's worth 25% more. I can buy 25% more stuff, even though my wage is exactly the same. How does that happen? It happens because those greedy, rich bastards want to profit. So instead of just putting their money under the mattress, or instead of saving it, which then the bank will lend it out, they invest it in businesses that they think, they hope are gonna do well. If those businesses do well, then they make a profit. How do those businesses do well? Well, the owners of those businesses look at the market and say, hmm, I think I can do that cheaper than that person does, or I think I can offer a better service than that person for the same amount of money that they're charging for that service. Hmm but I don't have the money to do it, right? Let me go to Mr. Starbucks. You've got tons of money. Uh, will you lend me 10 million pounds for this great idea? And Mr. Starbucks goes, hmm, not a bad idea you've got there actually. I think that might work. Okay, I'll take the risk. I'll give you the 10 million pounds, but in exchange, you need to give me 25% of your business. And he goes, well, do you know what? Mr. Microsoft offered me 10 million pounds for 20% of my business. And uh, Mr. Starbucks goes, okay, well, then I'll give you it for 19% of your business. Have we got a deal? Yes, we've got a deal. Let's shake. Okay, now I own 19% of your business. Now, if you tax Mr. Starbucks for that million pounds, then he's not going to be able to give that money to that guy to get that guy to invest in his new idea that will make all your stuff in the shops cheaper and benefit you as a poor person. This is the story that the left don't understand. So I really, really, really need you to share this podcast because I think I'm on fire. You'll need to tell me. Tell me, am I on fire? Okay. So that's how capital formation works. And Andrew Yang does not seem to understand capital formation by my reading of his book because, and by my listening to him on podcasts because he's constantly going on about how the universal basic income will create new jobs. You cannot create new jobs by taxing some people. That's like taking water from the deep end of the swimming pool and putting it in the shallow end of the swimming pool but spilling some of it along the way. Not only do the people at the shallow end of the swimming pool go to the shops and spend their money and then it just goes back to the rich people because you didn't actually make the people at the shallow end of the swimming pool any more skilled, you didn't give them any capital, you didn't do anything to increase their earning power. So when they go out to the shops, the money you tax to give them will just go back to the rich people. It's not a solution to inequality, okay? So capital formation helps the poor. 
oh, if only, if only we could get on TV to explain this to people. But to be honest, I've not seen that many people explain it well. George Reisman has got a good article called Anti-Abamonomics, where he tries to explain this concept. But, you know, he's a good popularizer, but it's still pretty academic. I didn't find it easy to read. And I've been studying economics for 10 years. So, so there's a lot of work to be done simplifying economics. Just like I said, there's no shortage of jobs, right? Andrew Yang says all your jobs are going to be automated. I say there's still tons of jobs as uh, political economists explaining the vagaries of economics to the lay audience. Okay, so as I've gone on, class sizes are not too small. There's lots of lonely old people and we could all do with a butler. There's lots of work to be done and as products and services become cheaper due to automation, people will have more money left in their pockets to pay people to do those things. Like we need to get classroom sizes down and we need to get hospital waiting lists down. If you're going to say, well, what about the short term? How are we going to help the truckers? Why not just give the truckers a universal basic income for a year or two after they get fired? so that they can go and train in another job. Why mess with the whole entire economy? That's silly, and it's gonna have bad consequences. So I'm not saying there may come a time, like Murray Rothbard has this example, which is, as soon as you think of a cola, it materializes in front of you. He says, then we'll be in a post-scarcity society. Then we can talk, stop talking about economics. But until that point, there will always be work. And, and at the point where we're in a post-scarcity society, there'll be no poverty either. Everything will be so abundant that people will just give it away for free. Okay, N that might sound far-fetched, but there's tons of stuff that people can't get, give away. If you've got a VHS player, it'll still play videos, and people will only to be happy to give you free, absolutely free movies. Free books, you, you can get tons of books for free because no one wants them anymore. So let, let's follow Jack the Trucker, right? I'm going to illustrate this because I think illustrating things is the best way to make them real. We're going to follow Jack the Trucker. Someone invents a self-driving car and this self-driving truck threatens to put Jack the Trucker out of business because it's got twice the productivity of Jack the Trucker. So Jack the Trucker can deliver an average of 100 widgets a day, but the automated truck doesn't have to sleep. So it can deliver an average of 200 widgets a day. Now, there's a possibility that Jack the Trucker will get fired to, uh, in, in place of, let's say, Percy, the self-driving truck. But it's not, not necessarily the case that he's going to get fired. If he does get fired, everyone says, look, that's so unfair. Look, Jack got fired. Like, let's go to the government and get a universal basic income before this happens to more people. What they don't realize is that now Percy is delivering twice as many widgets as Jack, and that reduces the price of widgets so that more people can buy widgets, right? So we can see that Jack is unemployed, but we don't see that everyone else is slightly better off and has got a little bit more money in their pocket. And what are they going to do with that money? Well, they're going to go out and buy more stuff. And Jack gets a call the next day and says, 
um, yeah, we know we laid you off, but actually so much stuff is getting bought right now that Percy can actually cater to the demand. We actually need you as well, right? So before they were selling a thousand widgets, now they're selling 1,500 widgets because the widgets are cheaper. So they actually need both Jack and Percy on the road. Uh, Jack gets called out of his retirement, at least in the interim. That, that's one thing that could happen. The detriment of Jack, what, but I want you to focus on the fact that the detriment of Jack is conspicuous because you can see him being fired, but not everyone notices the reason why they're slightly better off is because Jack's been fired. Now, this could be compromised if the Federal Reserve or the Bank of England prints out money to fund a universal basic income, for example, then that creates inflation. Money is a commodity. It's subject to the laws of supply and demand. The more money there is in circulation, the less um, valuable that money is. So if they print money, to create a universal basic income, then the price of everything is going to go up. So you're not even going to notice that Jack being fired has actually made your goods cheaper because all you see is that the prices in the shops are going up. Okay, so just just watch out for that one. That's why that's why we're not. I mean, I say in my book, universal basic income for and against, that it's like impossible to measure. It's you can't overestimate how much the printing of money has, has damaged our living standards. It's hard to imagine how much cheaper everything would be if they weren't always printing money. Your wages would be lower as well, but that's a different story. I can't go too fully into that. I, I discuss it in the book. So, right now, the basic economic problem says that resources are finite, finite while human wants are actually unlimited, right? If that's not true, it's almost true, right? So whatever we want, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we always want something more. So it might, maybe human wants aren't actually unlimited, but they're as close to unlimited as, as, as necessary for the thought experiment. We're a couple of hundred years away from utopia, right? So there's always a way to advance technology to meet more of people's needs because people's needs and desires are unlimited. So that's why you don't need to be scared anytime soon uh, of there being nothing to do because our wants are unlimited so we can always be better served. Now, the employer who buys the machine, as I said, they, they might he might want to keep Jack on and have both Percy and Jack on the roads. That will help him produce three times as much rather than just twice as much um, as he was before. Uh, on the other hand, uh, he might fire Jack. Now Jack has to find another job doing something else that better serves people. Because the obvious, what is obvious is that we don't want people doing things just because they're doing things. Like there, there's a story, I don't know if it's true or not, that Milton Friedman visited the Soviet Union and saw a bunch of people digging a ditch. And he said, well, where's the machines to help them dig a ditch? And they said, oh, you don't understand, this is a make work program. So in other words, we don't want to help them dig the ditch faster because um, cause then they won't have a job, right? And he said, well, why do they even have shovels then? <laughs> sharp guy, I can believe that it actually happened. So we don't want him trucking if there's no demand for 
his services. I mean, but the thing is, as I said, classroom sizes are too small and hospital waiting lists are too long. Uh, we need to replant our forests, etc., etc., etc. So there's plenty of things for him to do. Like, why should we have him sitting driving a truck when, like, you know, there's some single mom out there who has to look after her uh, child that's got some special needs of some sort and he could be taking some jobs off her hands so that she can look after the child it's it's a horrible idea so the employer's got the chance of increasing productivity by keeping both of them on or firing him to find work that it makes more sense for him to do either way the product itself the the product the service of trucking is going to fall in price right the price of trucking services is going to fall if the first trucker trucking service doesn't lower their prices now that they've got Percy on board then one of their competitors will say we can truck for cheaper than them and they'll be forced to put their prices down sooner or later maybe not in the short term maybe there's too much stuff to be delivered in the short term but in the long term market competition means that the prices of things will go down so as i said this means that a more people will be able to afford having stuff trucked to them because the price of trucking has gone down and two all of the companies that pay to have stuff trucked to them have got extra money left over after trucking after having their trucks delivered to invest in their business to put the price of their products down to employ more people so let's say i'm Walmart right the price of trucking has gone down now I've got more money left over after having all the stuff delivered to my shop that I think wow we could really cut down the size of our lines here Target have lower lines than us like the, the lines in Target are short and our lines are long well let's employ Jack the trucker in Walmart so that we can compete with Target and then Target goes oh we were, we were doing a great job of competing with Walmart because people said, I don't like going to Walmart, the lines are too long, but now their lines are short like us because they employed Jack the trucker, right? We need to employ some people too, right? So this is how it works in the, in the real world, right? When you allow the market to function, I'm not saying we have a free market, but this is how Jack the trucker would find a new job in Walmart who've got more money left over because they're paying less to have their goods trucked to them, right? So this is creating jobs in other sectors. Also, all the customers who have more money left in their pocket because the price of products have gone down, they're going to go out and buy things. They're going to say, hmm, Jack the trucker, uh, he's, he's out of work. Well, I need someone to babysit the kids. So I'll go around to his house and say, hey, I heard you lost your job. Really need help looking after the kids. Could I bring them over to your house? there you go the savings that people are making due to trucking are facilitating jack the trucker in getting a new job and what i would add to that is jack the trucker's redundancy package which he's been paid his severance also has higher value because everything in the shop's cheaper due to the automation of trucking so the fall in prices increases standards of living as everyone. As I said, everyone who's still in a job can buy more stuff with the same wage. So we're all better off. And now I meant to say the freer the economy, the easier it will be to absorb the truckers, right? If you have $15 minimum wage, that's going to make it really hard for the truckers to get jobs in areas where that's in effect because they might, they, they might not have 
skills that aren't relevant to trucking that are worth $15. However, if you don't have a minimum wage, then they can get a job in the short term, gain some skills in that job, and they will be able to gain skills on the job and their labor will become more valuable. But if you make it hard to employ them, then you're just making it unnecessarily difficult. Oh yeah, I meant to mention this. Gene Epstein, who you might know, he, he moderates the Soho Forum. He's going to moderate my debate with Andrew Yang. When he read my book, Universal Basic Income For and Against, get it on Amazon, it'll be out in paperback soon. He, he wrote to me, in, well, no, no, we were speaking on Skype, and he said, a lot of people think that major shifts in the economy require the government to preside over, but it's actually more than ever when there's major shifts that you need free markets and entrepreneurship, because it's the entrepreneurs who have the details on the ground, they can see what people's needs are, and they can try things. Like, lots of companies can try different things to solve problems, whereas the government is very far away from the facts of the ground compared to entrepreneurs, local businesses, and people who are dealing with people day in, day out. So they don't actually have the information to deal with the minutiae, plus they can't try things on a small scale. Here, here's a little product to help with this. Oh, you like it. Well, you tell your friend, your friend buys it, blah, 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 blah. By mimetics, that product, that idea, that innovation spreads in a meritocratic way on the free market. Whereas when the government plans it, the government has to go um, guess. They have to guess. How else are they going to do it? And their chances of guessing are diminishingly low, especially when you consider how greatly the needs of different people vary across the whole of a country. So you're getting the idea that automation doesn't necessarily mean less jobs because um, Henry Ford automated the production line and because the automobile suddenly became affordable to the masses, the number of people working in manufacturing actually had to increase. They needed so many cars that even though he automated the production line, even though he automated the production line, he needed to employ more people because the demand for cars went through the roof. So how do we apply this to Jack the Trucker? Well, the automation of trucking drives the price of everything so far down, everything becomes so much cheaper that people buy more stuff that more trucks are needed than, than ever. And that's when he gets the call to say, hey, Jack, we need you back for, for another couple of months. I know, I know we laid you off, but please just stay with us for another couple of months. We'll give you a bonus. Like, don't hate us. <laughs> and that'll also give you time to find a new job. That can happen in the short term. Also, Jack the Trucker could get a call from that company going, yeah, sorry we laid you off. Actually, what we want to do is retrain you as a mechanic because these self-driving trucks, they are, they, they, they've, got, they've brought a whole host of um, maintenance problems and we don't actually have enough mechanics to maintain them. We, you were always reliable. You're always on time. You're always a hard worker. So we're going to give you the job maintaining the machines. As the economist Johan Norberg, author of Progress, 10 Reasons to Look Forward to the Future, put it, 
The more machines we have, the more people we need to develop them to manage and monitor them. It sounds like an unmanned drone is really unmanned, but not really. The US Air Force has concluded that a small MQ-1 drone requires a ground crew of 168 personnel. A big surveillance drone relies on 300 people to operate it, and this compares to the 100 people it takes to keep a manned F-16 fighter in the air. And the more data these drones collect, the more people are needed to look at this data, monitor it, and reach conclusions. A single drone collects enough video for 20 people to work around the clock to analyze it. And with tens of thousands of drones, that's a lot of people. He goes on to state that one general in the military concluded, the number one manning problem in our Air Force is manning our unmanned platforms. So there's another thing. Jack the trucker gets a call from a surveillance company and says, hey, we heard you lost your job. We've got your reference here from the trucking company. They said you're great and we want to give you a new job working on our data. We're gathering data on um, the we're gathering stats from our unmanned trucks. They've got video cameras in them and they're um, collecting data on the, the migration of birds. They're collecting data on fires and they're collecting data on all sorts of stuff that they're monitoring. And uh, we need someone to, to compile that data. And you seem to us just, just the person. So, now, another thing is that machines have created altogether new jobs and entire industries. For example, there's no such thing as a CT scan operator or a microchip assembler. These things can only be done with automation. So, you know, solution 12 for Jack the Trucker is that he is going to find a job that we've never even heard of before. Lord knows what job he may find. Right. Now, I just want to, so we're, uh, we're doing good. We're about 45 minutes in. I think I can finish in 15 minutes. So I just want to finish with some stuff on how the market redistributes the benefits of automation. And I've already talked about it partly in terms of it makes everything cheaper. So that way, because the idea is that the automation will concentrate all the money in the hands of the few. But um, I've sort of already challenged that, but we know one way, it pushes the price of products down. It also makes there more money available for capital formation, which I've discussed already. But, but the thing is, if one person is able to do the work previously done by two, then his labor is twice as productive, right? Let's say if one man is able to do the work of four, right? Let's say they keep on Jack, they keep one quarter of their workforce on, but they're not there to drive. They're there to maintain the machines. They only need a quarter as many people, right? But he's still four times as productive, or maybe eight times as productive, because he can maintain four machines, which are twice as productive as him. So they've got a reason to pay him more, because um, he's worth eight times what he once was. And if other people are offering the same job, then he's going to go where he can get paid the most for looking after the machines. So it's not the employer who chooses the wage. So George Reisman 
uses this example, right? Supposing I move to Manhattan and it's too expensive for me to park my car. My car is worth like $10,000, right? I just want rid of the bloody car. I just want rid of it. And I'd be willing to give it away. Come to my house and take it. I just don't want the car. I just don't want to have a car in Manhattan, right? You can come over and pick it up. But do I need to give it away? No, because it's worth $10,000. So just because I'm willing to give the car away doesn't mean I need to. I can still get 10000 bucks for it. Okay? Uh, he, he uses this as an analogy. So just because... Um, just because workers, because Marxists say workers need to work because they, otherwise they'll starve. Therefore, they'll get the least amount of wages possible. In economics, that's called the iron law of wages, right? They'll get the least amount of wages possible. That's not true. They'll get what their labor is worth because they can't, right? Just because they're willing to work for the minimum possible because they don't want to starve to death doesn't mean that they're going to be obliged to work for the least amount of possible. So advances in the labor market, why would they pay him eight times as much? Because if they don't, he'll get another job somewhere else that's paying eight times as much. Because the automation is making everyone's productivity, everyone, everyone's labor worth more because they can do more. That's why we've got these flat screen TVs and stuff like that. That's why whatever you earn now can buy much more than it could a hundred years ago. Because if you're a forklift operator, you're so much more productive than someone moving those pallets by hand. So your employer can pay you more because you're so much more productive. Now, if it's just something that anyone can do, like, um, I don't know, sweep a floor, you're less affected by it because there's more competition for your job. So the more the more specialized you are, the more insulated you are. But even a butler, I can't remember who said this, but you go, well, how can you increase the productivity of a butler? Well, you can give him a tray, I suppose. But how's automation going to make him more productive? Um, let's just say it can. I'm sure it can. I'm sure we can find lots of inventions for him to make his job easier. The thing is, it's not the fact that he's more productive. It's the fact that if you don't pay him more, then there's tons of jobs that are within his ability, within his capability, that he can go out instead that will pay him more. So it's competition from other employers that force the going rate of being a butler up. So if his employer doesn't give him an increased proportion of the profits, then someone else will. So other employers seeing the opportunity will enter the sector to take advantage of low labor costs in the industry, offering incrementally higher wages. Raising wages serves the original employer by ensuring he holds on to experienced staff that are already skilled, rather than having to hire new employees who may be unproductive at first and require training and experience which may be costly to provide. This is from Universal Basic Income for and against. You can get it on Kindle and it'll be available in paperback soon. If production needs fluctuate, then offering experienced workers over time will usually be preferable to taking on unskilled temps and making layoffs tends to reduce staff morale, which can have negative effects on productivity as well. What's more, managers often have a personal relationship with staff and would rather not make redundancies if they can be avoided. So 
I don't know who wrote that, but whoever is, is clearly an economic genius. So what I'm saying here is technology is a win-win. When workers are displaced by it, it makes them available to find more productive or specialized work that machines can't do yet. The public is better served because people are now doing things that only people can do, whereas machines are taking up the work that people are no longer necessary to do. Our time is being freed up. The only reason why most people have the time and money to enjoy art, culture, science, and so on, is because mechanization has freed up our time. And in my book, I show the figures and say that in 1870, the average hours worked were about 61, as, a, as opposed to 37 today. Right? That's because one person can now do the work that once required several. So. It's because of automation that we've got so much free time. Because remember, like hundreds of years ago, there's no way that a regular person would be able to buy a trumpet. I mean, a trumpet, that's like, you know, why do you think it's in royal music? Because they were incredibly expensive. Only royals could afford them. Um, so, so just think about that. You know, a pineapple used to be a luxury good. Sometimes you see these buildings that have got domes that have got the shape of a pineapple and that's because I don't know I think the king of France paid like the equivalent of $15,000 or something like that today for one bloody pineapple so but now you get them in the store for the equivalent of a dollar adapting to an economy that's advancing through mechanization does require of people the ability and willingness to adapt and learn new skills and that might seem intimidating to some but the net results is actually to empower people to take charge of their destiny by becoming flexible, well-educated, and multi-talented. It's no longer the time of the Industrial Revolution, where people were defined by their jobs and expected to do those jobs for life, but rather an aspirational time where people can become highly competent in many fields and so be assured that they will always be able to find meaningful work or even create their own jobs using their skills if they want to. The internet has opened up a near infinite number of doorways for that. I don't want to get too deeply into the education, to education system, but let's say the education system, well, I mean, they don't teach people a whole bunch of, to, get, to go from being crap at things to being good at things. Like that, that, The whole point of the education system should be to give people a bunch of opportunities to try things out and go from being really rubbish at them to being pretty good at them so they can say well I can learn anything once I get out of here it's not really like facts and figures we don't really need them we get them all in Wikipedia right you learn to read reading writing and arithmetic that's about the only useful stuff you learn in school and I'd say it's like sociologically damaging but that's uh yeah, to be bossed around all the time and do what you're told when you're told and all that but that's a uh, conversation for another time. We're told that this is the era of fake news, but there's no critical thinking skills in school. They don't teach people how to what's a, to tell a valid argument from a fallacious one or to, to fact check a document. They don't, they don't teach them any of that stuff. So I think the education system really has just left people absolutely paralyzed. Nathaniel Brandon, um, who dated, well, who had a clandestine affair with Ayn Rand, wrote an essay called The Divine Right of Stagnation, I think it's called, and he wrote this maybe in the 50s or 60s, um, maybe earlier, uh, talking about this idea that was going around. People have the right to stagnate. They have the right not to have to learn new things, right? Just because uh, automation is beneficial for everyone else, I'm going to stop it. 
says Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson wants to stop the autom the automated trucks because you know Jack the trucker wants to hold everyone else in society hostage. I was actually very sympathetic to Jack the trucker before. Now I think he's an asshole. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's been a long time since I've read the essay, but if you want further reading, you can read it. We can actually make the best use of automation. I guess my vision for the future is that, yeah, machines will continue to re replace the jobs, but a lot of them are factory jobs and things that are quite impersonal and not that satisfying. And I think the work that's remaining is the work that requires a human touch, things like nursing, childcare, caring for people's health and wellness, um, you know, fitness trainer, physiotherapist, counselor, we're all going to be so rich that we're going to turn into couch potatoes who are only on virtual reality machines. So we're going to need yoga and we're going to need uh, the gym. We're going to need a personal trainer. We're going to need uh, motivational coaching to follow our dreams, all sorts of things. People, uh, music, we'll probably see a lot more live music because um, it'll be cheap to get a band to perform because everything's so cheap that the band only need low wages. Everything becomes affordable in the in the future because of automation. Um, a lot of people will will basically get jobs mentoring each other. I think that's where the world's going. The only jobs that will really be left are like giving someone very personalized mentorship. So something that you're very good at, you can teach small groups to do it firsthand and um, and then you obviously we can we can use our technological innovations to solve any environmental problems we can use them to help people get better at things you know to monitor their performance at things and get better at it um, whether even if, if they're trying to you know if they're trying to help they can, the computer can monitor their approaches and give them feedback on which ones are doing well uh, and so forth. And, um, you know, I once saw an idea for a virtual reality game where it puts sensors on you to monitor how stressed you are and you get like an amoeba in the, uh, in the sea. And the more you relax, the more your amoeba evolves into a creature and it's a different creature each time you play the game. So we could use the technology to help people to overcome trauma, but make it fun, make it into a computer game. A lot of you know that I'm a psychotherapist, so that's of interest to me. Um, how can we use the technology to heal people psychologically? So poverty becomes a thing of the past. People have all the stuff in the world and they realize they're still miserable because having tons of stuff does not make you happy. At least when you were poor, you could blame the fact that you were unhappy on the fact that you didn't have any stuff. But now you've got all this stuff, so you've got no choice but to turn inward and say, what's wrong with me? And you want personal development, you want to develop good habits, you want good health, you want good relationships, you want good mental health, you want community, you want to contribute to the well-being of others, um, you, you want to pursue your creative interests in arts, music, theatre, poetry, literature, science. And we use the technology to help us pursue our own interests in that and use the technology to take us higher as a species and that is my manifesto so this is what this is the possible future that automate that full automation will bring if you institute a ubi you will absolutely destroy the capital formation that's necessary 
for the future that I outline to happen. And that's why I look forward to debating Andrew Yang on, in September in New York. I hope you can, many of you can attend. I'll sign your book for you. And I'm sure uh, Andrew Yang will be signing books as well. And um, I look forward to meeting him. I admire him. I respect him. And uh, it will be good to exchange ideas with him. I hope to see as many of you as possible in New York. The rest of you will be able to catch the live stream or, or probably just the stream. I don't think it'll be live online. Thank you for tuning into the Scottish Liberty Podcast. And if you think this show was good, I think I did a bloody good job. Please share it. Please, please, please share the show because um, that's how I grow the show.